the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. When you're with another more experienced lawyer, they will refer you cases that they don't want to take, and the cases that they don't want to take will be your good cases. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? How you doing, bud? Tyson, it's cold, man. It is cold. Yeah, it is a whopping 20 degrees. It's not as cold as it's been, though. It's, it's okay, but it's still pretty cold. And, and then you have the wind chill, plus you have the, the snow, which doesn't help. So kind of a, just one of those days, I guess. Yeah, I just feel like we haven't had a hard winter in St. Louis in a couple of years, and so it looks like this year is going to be a pretty tough one, which is fine with me. I like the change of seasons, but... It's been interesting so far. I mean, come on. It, and it's not been that bad. I mean, it's it's been pretty mild for the most part. We've had a couple of those patches where it's been really, really cold. But you're right. Like, the last few years, it's been great. So I, I'm not going to complain about anything because it's been pretty awesome. So, But we have a guest. I don't want to keep our guest waiting too long. You want to introduce our guest? Our guest today is a longtime listener who I had the pleasure of meeting for lunch a few weeks ago when he and his wife, we're in St. Louis. His name's Ryan Locke from the Ryan Locke Law Firm, and he's a criminal defense attorney down in Atlanta. Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And I will complain about the cold. It's been freezing down here in Atlanta, and we are not <laughs> used to it. And <laughs> but thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Ryan. So you know the deal. I, I want you to dig a little bit deeper, and, and instead of giving us like the surface level, I do this. Can I, I guess tell us a little bit about you, your family, and your law firm. Well, I will start at the beginning. I was actually born in Wichita, Kansas. This is my secret shame. And when I was very young, I moved to Maryland where I grew up. My dad is in the Air Force. And so I'm a closet Midwesterner by birth, which my, my wife who's from Missouri always reminds me of that whenever we drive back to St. Louis, where she's from. But so I grew up in Maryland. I, I think I was first exposed to the law when my freshman year in high school, I joined our high school's mock trial team. And I thought standing up and talking in front of people was great, and everything else was the most boring thing I'd ever done. And I remember we would have long meetings with this, in this local lawyer's office, and God bless her, it was after hours, she devoted so much time to us. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is awful. Like, this is so boring, this is tedious you know, all these different rules. 
I just like to stand up and talk in front of people. Well, I eventually came over to really liking both sides. And then I went to the University of Richmond for college and competed in mock trial there. And then I went to law school at the University of Georgia um, down here in Athens, Georgia. And I continued to do trial stuff and, and really enjoyed it. When I graduated, my first job, my wife was working for the State Department in Mexico. And we were living in, in Matamoros, Mexico. And I started working for ProBar, which is a project of the American Bar Association, which does asylum and other types of pro bono immigration relief. And that was really cool. And I'd done some clinics in law school, but I really enjoyed meeting the clients and sitting and talking with the clients and learning about them and being able to, you know, I mean, most people, we said, well, you know, there's just not much we can do, but for you know the people who we could help, being able to tell them, hey, we're here to help you and we can do that was really, I think, kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the real power in representing powerless people against big interests. After we left Mexico, we came back to Atlanta, and, and I started working for the public defender's office here in Fulton County in Atlanta. And that was the same deal, where it really combines my enjoyment of being in the courtroom and standing up, talking in front of people, and also really helping people. And I did that for a few years, and then about four and a half, five years ago, I started my firm. And I started doing criminal practice exclusively originally. Now I've transitioned to doing mostly personal injury work, and then I continue to do criminal appeals, and a lot of those are appointed. And it kind of is my little like public defender holdover section. And that's my 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 limited legal career in a nutshell. Brian, talk to us a little bit about the transition from working in the public sector to hanging out your shingle. How did that go? That transition was everything. And it's funny because I, at no time in my life before, like literally the day that I did that, did I ever think I would own a business. And even when I was doing it, I didn't really think, oh, I'm going to start a business. I just thought, oh, well, I'm going to do what I'm doing. But you know, I can wake up later in the morning and I can do it in my sweatpants from home and, and it'll be great. And so the, I mean, the nice thing is that I knew how to do the law for the most part. And I knew what I didn't know. You know, I was familiar enough with criminal law that I wasn't worried about that. Learning how to run a business has been, you know, quite really an education. And from, you know, marketing, I never thought about how will I get clients. I just figured they would come, you know, just like in, in my prior jobs, there were just tons of people out there, and, you know, we just went and did work and I never really thought about that. I mean, my big advantages were I started paperless and that was a really great decision because I, I didn't have to deal with any that, you know, converting or backlog or anything. I also started with a case management system, even though I knew that I would underutilize it for a long time. For the same reason, I figured once I started, if I started using it, then it would be easy to just kind of keep with it, and it would be expandable. If I'd be able to bring more people on, or originally my, I guess I've always had a more boutique firm than a volume firm, but I thought, well, you know, if I start taking a lot of volume, I'll be able to deal with that. 
Ryan, since you started your firm, what do you think is the biggest piece of advice or best piece of advice that you've gotten from another attorney? When, you know, I'll still remember when I, when I was starting, I kind of took a tour and I visited. The nice thing about being a public defender here in Atlanta is that there are a lot of ex-public defenders and a lot of people who have gone out and started their own firms. And so I just started meeting with them. You know, people who'd gone out two years ahead of me, five years, 10 years, and, and asked them, what should I do? The two best pieces of advice. The first was, I thought about not having an office. And one attorney said, no, you need an office because, you know, for criminal, you need people to come. They're going to be giving you a lot of money up front and they need to know that you're legit and, and kind of have that experience. And that was really the first time I thought, because I was thinking, from the, you know, from my perspective, I can talk to them on the phone and obviously they'll be dazzled by me. And then I can just meet them at a Starbucks and then obviously they'll give me thousands of dollars and then I'll go and I'll do amazing lawyer work and they'll love me forever. And what's so hard about that? And that was the first time that I started thinking about my firm as a customer experience where when people are coming, they are having an experience and that experience has to be good from beginning to end. Even if it is, you know, not, I could be more efficient in some ways, or I could save money in some ways. If the customer experience isn't good, then they're not going to, you know, talk about me kindly to other people, refer people to me. And that was especially important in the criminal context because everyone who's coming to me is already having a terrible experience. Like no one's coming to me as a criminal lawyer and saying, thank God I get to hire you. You know, finally, I have been accused of robbery, and I can't wait to live this law and order experience. Everyone was having, you know, it's the worst period of their lives. So that was number one. Number two was when you get space, rent space from another more established lawyer. And this was good for two different reasons. The first is that you can ask that lawyer questions, and that lawyer has a lot of stuff that you can just kind of use. Like that lawyer is going to have a lot of books you can use. The office you know is going to be nice. You don't have to worry about who's going to meet them up front because that lawyer's figured it out. I mean, you got to pick a good office, right? But that removes a lot of stuff from your plate that you just don't have to deal with. And number two, and this really helped me, you know, both on the criminal side and on the first lender side, is when you're with another more experienced lawyer, they will refer you cases that they don't want to take. And the cases that they don't want to take will be your good cases. Like some won't be great. But, you know, I remember when I first started out, my very first case was, it was a domestic violence battery in our magistrate court. And I, I drove to that person's house. I drove 50 minutes to that person's house. I sat with them for two hours. I quoted them a fee of $1,000. And then they had to talk about it. So I went back to my car and I sat in my car for maybe 15 or 20 minutes while they talked about it, just thinking, I can't believe this is happening. I'm going to be rich. That I, They're going to pay me $1,000 and this is great. And then they did. And then no one hired me for two and a half weeks after that. And then I thought, oh my God, this is a horrible mistake. So, you know, thinking that back then that was a good case for me. And, you know, to the lawyer who I eventually rented space from, that was the kind of case that he didn't want to deal with. And so that kind of relationship was really beneficial. Right. And then 
when you first went out on your own, how did you think about marketing? How did you think about, you know, spreading the word about your firm and about your practice, about your transition from criminal defense? What were the things that you did that worked and what were the things that you sort of wish you hadn't done? You know, there's less that I wish I hadn't done and more that I wish I had done. Just because I, I was in, in that early stage, I was always behind the eight ball in marketing, I feel, because it was something that I just didn't really think about because cases started coming in and I just started working them. And particularly in a criminal firm, cash flow is easy to fix because everything is paid up front. And so if I was low on money, I would take a couple more cases and then I'd be fine. And so I was never really thinking too far in advance about where the case is going to come from, how I'm going to market. I tell this to, to business people and they like start laughing at this point, right? When they're like, you just, you know, you just kind of open a business and hope that it would like a field of dreams situation where you just hope they would come. And, and the answer is really yes. I mean, I just know control over it. I've always focused on referrals, on attorney referrals, because the cases tend to be better and the clients who are referred to me almost always hire me. And back in, when I was doing mostly criminal, maybe like, I don't know, half to two thirds would, would always hire me. Now when I'm doing personal injury, pretty much if I want to work with that client, they'll hire me if it's a referral. And I also found that it was easier to, like I knew how to market to other lawyers because I knew how to hang out with other lawyers. And so my, my strategy was like, I hate, I hate networking events and like, and I hate big, you know, big rooms full of lawyers and business cards and all this. You know, what I like to do is like go out to eat for lunch or go hang out somewhere. And so I, I started doing that and, and that helped in, in identifying lawyer referral sources and then kind of keeping me top of mind. I also targeted, I knew in, in the same vein of renting space from someone who's more experienced than me and has good cases to give me that they don't want, I identified other kind of prominent lawyers and then would network with their associates. And because I knew that, all right, if, you know, if, if I invite, you know, super prominent criminal defense, Atlanta criminal defense lawyer to lunch, he's, he's probably, you know, he may not even go to lunch with me. If we do, it's going to be, you know, he's 30 years older than me. It's going to be kind of be difficult to form a really good connection. It's going to take a lot of time. But I can make friends with his associate, and that'll be easy. And then maybe they'll think of me if the associate has to refer out a case or they're, they're thinking about that. So that was the big, my kind of big marketing strategy then. I've also always had stuff to hand out, like, you know, T-shirts and, you know, pens, just all those kind of tchotchke uh, magnets. I have a, a little keychain tag. These are great because they're very cheap to produce. On the front is my firm's logo. On the back is, it, you know, it says, I, I do not consent to any searches. I wish to remain silent. I want to call my lawyer, Ryan Locke, and it has my phone number right there. And so, you know, I was giving those out to everybody too. And even people who, you know, like my friends, I would say, hey, you know, start a firm, you know, have this. I, you know, I make a joke like, I know you'll never need it, but, 
then they would put it on their keychain. And once it's on the keychain, it never comes off. And I still have, you know, I'll, I'll hang out with friends and I'll look and I'll see, you know, the keychain tag is still on there. I had the same idea with t-shirts, right? Where it's a t-shirt, which is kind of a cool design on the front. Um, it says lock it down and lock spells my last name, L-O-C-K-E. It has a, a cool Atlanta skyline. I paid a designer, I can't remember, 50 bucks, 100 bucks maybe to design a couple of these for me. And, you know, it's just kind of a cool shirt. And I just hand them out to people I know. And the idea was I still have T-shirts that I got in high school that are in the circulation because it's so hard to throw out a T-shirt. And so that was the same idea where, you know, you have my T-shirt and then you're thinking of me and then you'll refer me cases. And so this is stuff that I give to people who I think are going to my friends and other lawyers and that kind of thing, you know, satisfied clients who, who I think will refer me stuff. And then at least I know every couple of laundry cycles, they'll say, oh, yeah, Ryan has a law firm. Ryan, what do you enjoy the most about what you do? You know, what I enjoy the most is talking with my clients, figuring out what's going on, and then figuring out a good solution. And particularly with my appeal stuff, it's something that I learned early on that was kind of like a real revelation in how to approach some criminal defense cases, but also criminal appeal cases, is I realized, you know, I can't win 100% of these cases. In fact, I'm going to lose a lot of these cases. And in the beginning, that was really, I interned for the public defender in, in law school before I worked there. And I remember when I interned there, my big conflict was, well, what's the truth? What happened? Because, you know, at the end of every Law & Order episode, or at least most of them, you know what happened. Oh, he did it. Oh, no, he was innocent. And that does not happen in real life. And that really bothered me. I had a need to know. I eventually realized, well, real life is not like that. And for, you know, many things I'll just never know. But it doesn't, you know, for my representation, that's not super important. I can be a, you know, a, a zealous advocate without knowing the truth. Sometimes it helps not to know the truth. But then my next thing when I was working for the public defender and, and then in private practice, I was really down because I was like, well, I can't, some of these I can't win. And I had to come to terms with the fact that there may not be a path to winning in every case. And it may be that even if there is a path to winning, that the chance of us actually making it to the end of that path is, you know, 2%, 3%. You know, everything has to go our way. And then, you know, the Supreme Court has to agree with our kind of crazy theory. And then we would win, but that's unlikely. So I knew I, I can't take enjoyment in figuring out what actually happens. And I can't take enjoyment in figuring out in winning. Because, you know, in, in, in criminal cases, you, you just don't win all the time. And so now I think I take the most enjoyment in, in kind of in cleverness in taking a case and figuring what is the best possible strategy, what's the most, what is a clever way to win this case that other lawyers might not be thinking about, and what is kind of the best, kind of like golf, you know, I'm not a good golfer, but I'll be happy if I'm, you know, less bad than I was the last time. And kind of the same way, I know I'm playing against myself, where I say, how can I make this case the best version 
of what's presented to me. And then the next one, how can I do it better than that one? In, in criminal appeal, you know, a lot of it is, is researching law and crafting the brief and writing. And so there's always room for improvement there. And then for my personal injury cases, it's, you know, sometimes it's in, how can I investigate this case in a better way than I have in any of my other cases? How can I try a new negotiation technique with this adjuster and see if that kind of works? Let me try some new things in this demand letter. Or, you know, once we file suit, let me try something different in these depositions. And so I think that that enjoyment is, you know, for me now, it's figuring out the strategy and then seeing if how well that strategy works. Ryan, talk to us a little bit about your firm setup, your support staff, and how things work at your firm on a day-to-day basis. It's me, and I have a, a paralegal, Fernanda, and she's been working for me for about maybe seven months, eight months. And it was, everyone told me when, when I was hiring her, because I, I talked to people, so when should I hire a paralegal and all this? And they said, oh, you should have hired her a year ago. And then, and then I was like, come on, guys. And then I did hire her, and, and then we started working, and I realized, oh, yeah, I definitely should have hired her a year ago. The amount of, like, the amount of help that a paralegal or an assistant brings to just kind of managing files and doing a lot of the administrative stuff to free me up to meet with clients and to th- kind of think more high level about the cases has been just invaluable. And so, you know, day-to-day, we rent space from a workers' compensation firm here in Atlanta, and that's worked out well because they don't handle personal injury cases. I don't handle workers' comp cases. And so we refer a lot of stuff back and forth. Like I said, we're paperless. And so all of our case files are in Dropbox. We're a Mac office. And so we use a, a native Mac OS app called Daylight to run our practice. And it's kind of a general business management application that you can kind of use in any, in any type of sector. And so we use that. The nice things about that are it's, it's very easy to manage tasks in Daylight, and it's very easy to get emails into Daylight. So from the mail.app, you can, there's a little plug-in. And so when I'm looking at an email, it will automatically link it up to the project that it's about, the contact that it's about, and I don't have to do anything. So that's been, that was always my biggest friction with other practice management applications was getting email into the application. And so much of our stuff is is done by email that it was ending up to be um, a, a real hassle. The tasks are nice because every type of case that we take, we have, um, what they call a pipeline for that case. And the pipeline is also broken up into phases so that, you know, when I create a case and then assign it to a pipeline, it will automatically populate the tasks that I want, but not like all 120 tasks. So we have, you know, if we're opening, you know, a personal injury automobile case, you know, the, the first phase is set up the file and some tasks are automatically assigned to Fernanda and some are to me, you know, and we'll move it to okay, requesting documents and a bunch of different tasks and then reviewing documents and a bunch of different tasks. And so that really helps us to 
stay focused on what needs to be done, even when we're not, so that we're not spending so much time looking at a case and thinking, what do I need to do in this case? We know, okay, these are the things that have to be done, and the computer will tell us to do them, and then we'll do it. And then that frees up our thinking for kind of the more high-level strategic stuff about a case where, you know, I don't have to worry if we've requested the 911 tape in the dash cam because, of course, it's going to be assigned. I can think, all right, you know, what businesses are around there that might have cameras? Like, oh, let me call all these people in the police board. Like, let me drive out there and look. I don't have the mental weight of worrying about if, if standard stuff's going to be done. I guess that's most of our data. Of course, we use, you know, we use Word like, <laughs> like everyone else does. You know, we use the Adobe suite for PDFs. We use one of the eFax providers for eFax. Let's see, we do some e-signing, and we do that through Adobe, and that's worked pretty well. That's our kind of day-to-day -day experience. What do you think you struggle with the most? What I struggle with the most is it was marketing because I, I just didn't really think about it that much. And I didn't really have an incentive to, because for the criminal cases, people would refer me cases, and at least here in Georgia, we don't typically pay referral fees to other lawyers for criminal cases, but we will for personal injury cases. And so it started where, you know, I had I had these good cases, but I'm I'm paying out in referral fees because other lawyers have referred them to me, and and so now I've started thinking more about, okay, I need to think more seriously about marketing to, you know, non-lawyers so that they will think of me when they need to hire a lawyer when someone's injured. And so that's been a, you know, a shift that I, you know, luckily, I was lucky before that I didn't really have to take that aspect seriously. But now, now I do. I think the other so I think, you know, marketing is a difficulty. I think the other difficulty is wearing, like kind of wearing the CEO hat and also wearing the lawyer hat. I never took a business class. I studied psychology in college, never took a business class in college. Law school doesn't teach you, at least at UGA, they didn't have anything to teach us you know, how to run a law firm. And I think there was a, a kind of a large, I guess the the kind of implicit assumption is you're probably not going to start a law firm. So no one ever really sat down and talked to me like, hey, you should, be, you should be looking at key performance indicators and tracking those to figure out the health of your firm. You should know where your business is going to be coming from so that you can plan. You should budget, right? You should think about how much money am I going to put towards marketing? How much money am I going to put towards firm improvements, et cetera? Rather than just kind of moving along and figuring it out as you go along. And so I think that's also a difficulty. And I think it's a difficulty for a lot of small firm lawyers because I can always sit down and do a lawyer thing because I know how to do legal work and I'm good at it. Sitting down to do a CEO thing is hard because, you know, I'm, I'm every day I'm still learning how to do CEO things. So I think that's also, at this point in my firm's life, a, a big difficulty. Ryan, I understand that you have recently started a podcast of your own. I was wondering if you could talk to Tyson and I a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. You know, my big pushes for 2018 are 
doing more content marketing and getting serious and systematized about it. And so I'm, I'm starting a podcast and I also want to start something on a YouTube show or something to kind of get involved. And I think it is easier than I thought and also more kind of more difficult than I thought. So I've actually setting up the thing pretty easy. The, the podcast, it's, it's George at Pellet Review, and it's, it's talking about oral arguments in Georgia and appellate lawyers in Georgia and both kind of the, the skill and art of, of oral advocacy. And so I thought, oh, great, I can, I can talk to all these lawyers. And, and it's stuff that I want to know too, right? I'm interested in how do these really good appellate lawyers do it, right? Like, what do they, how do they approach the cases from a philosophical standpoint? But also, you know, what are they, how are they doing it? How do they outline? What do they think about as they're doing it? How do they prepare? The, I realized quickly that the, it's easy to sign up your first couple people to come and talk to you. And then the, the editorial calendar is very long. And the people you know are quite small. So that has been a... Um, it's fun, and, but it's also a kind of a planning, planning out what you're going to do beyond like the next episode is, has been a, a interesting challenge. But it's also so much easier than I thought. Like it's, I mean, I don't know, not all lawyers, but you know, a lot of lawyers are good at just talking, particularly about what they do and particularly to other lawyers. And, you know, there's so many good technical solutions that it's, it's easy to just start. And, you know, I mean, for a while I was, you know, wringing my hands about, well, what should I call it and who, who should be on there and uh, will people laugh at me and, 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 you know, what should I, should I record Skype calls or should I be in person? Or, and, and these decisions are important, but they're good answers to all of them. And, and then it's easy to, to just kind of go. And so just like in hiring Fernanda, my paralegal, this is the kind of thing that I, I wish I had started a year ago, but I'm glad I'm, I'm doing it now. I love it, Jimmy. I know that you and I can both relate to just the starting and the, some of the pains when it comes to making sure we have good guests on the podcast and things like that. So it's, and then you, I know with us, we had, you know, we originally were recording through Skype and then we would record a podcast and then the recording wouldn't work. And so, a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of growing pains, but it's it's a lot of fun. So uh, we are sort of up against. It. I don't want to go too much longer, just because I want to respect everyone's time. So before we get to Jimmy's hack of the week, I do want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group. It has been on fire lately. A lot of people um, getting involved in the discussion. So we really appreciate that. So get involved in that. Also, if you do enjoy the podcast, make sure you go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So my hack of the week is something that happens every year around this time. So for those of you who don't know, the king, Elvis Presley himself, was born on January 8th, 1935. And I had a case seven or eight years ago with an attorney down in Memphis. I think he's a huge fan of the king. And instead of sending out a Christmas card or a holiday card or a New Year's card, he sends out an Elvis Presley birthday card. And I will scan this in and put it on the website because it's a trip. He's got a whole little story about Elvis. Every year there's different news about Elvis. 
And then he has this message, as this holiday season draws to a close, we bring you greetings from Memphis, the home of the king and the birthplace of rock and roll on the 83rd anniversary of his birth. Then, as all lawyers do, he has a footnote. And on the footnote, it says, some of you know that my mama shares the king's birthday. If you're anywhere near the cultural center of the universe on January 8th, be sure to call and wish her a happy birthday. Now, that just cracks me up. I think I think it's it's unique. It's fun, and it comes after all the other holiday cards, so it sort of stands out. I love it. That's really good. It's funny because I think that's a really good point, though, that you're making that I don't think you tried to make, is that find times throughout the year to stand out. And that does, that, like, send things on, like, Donut Day, not Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, things like that, like, you just read to everybody. I mean, that really stands out. I mean, and that's something that you think about every single year you're expecting it. So, Great marketing. That's incredible. All right, Ryan, so you know the routine. So do you have a tip of the week for us? I do, and it, it is an app recommendation. If you're on, on the Mac, it's called Text Expander. If you're on Windows, they have um, it's a different app called Phrase Express. seems to be one of the better ones. And it will it is a, a text expander in the sense that you type something, and then it punches in more text than you type. And I found this to be a, a very easy way to kind of semi-automate documents. And the barrier to entry is super low. It's super easy to punch in, to, to put in whatever text you want. It's very easy to you know, understand how it works. And so I use that for, so for example, like discovery objections, objections to discovery requests. We all have, you know, eight or ten standard discovery objections, and I just have little keyboard codes for them. And so when I need to put it in, I just type the keyboard code, it puts the objection right in there, and it saves me tons of time. You can also, at least I know on the Mac version, you can um, share it with your team. And so I share a lot of them with Fernanda, my paralegal, so that she knows the exact language to use in responding to certain things. It it makes me feel better because I know exactly what is going out for these, these certain things. It makes her feel better because she doesn't have to worry about drafting it. She can just do it. And so I think if you, it's a very easy way to kind of speed up the process of putting together documents and communicating with people. That's a great little hack. I like that. I'm, I can't believe I've never heard of that. That's, that's pretty awesome. Very good. All right. Well, my tip of the week is something that was recommended by listeners Jim Hart and Ryan McKean through John Fisher's Mastermind Experience. We recently split up into groups and we've got these little mini boards of directors, which is pretty cool. And something that uh, they recommended was, was Process Street. It allows you to sort of put you all of your processes in one place. It's actually really cool. I'm in the process of putting a lot of our user manual stuff into it, our office manual stuff into it. And then also we're hiring someone, so we're I'm putting into sort of an orientation. I'm getting taking the stuff that I had in Infusionsoft before that was automated and putting it into this, which is also sort of automated, but it's actually really, really cool. So for example, one of the things that you have to do as people know, whenever you hire someone, there's all these this paperwork that people have to fill out. And usually what we'll do is we'll email Jill and Jill will send us the paperwork and we'll have it signed and it's sort of a process. Well, you can actually put all these documents inside of uh, Process Street 
down that it allows them to download it or complete it if, if it, they can just fill it out on a PDF right there and then upload it so you have it all right there. It's actually really, really awesome. I was playing with that last night and then I also had some putting in our core values and really talking about the firm and why we do what we do and everything. So it's it's really, really good. So I really recommend it. It's I think it's fairly cheap. I can't remember the price. I think it I think it may be fifteen dollars, but there's it may be fifty dollars a month, but I think it's right around fifteen bucks a month. It's it's pretty cheap. So um that's my tip of the week. Um Ryan, thank you very much for coming on. This has been really good. I think there's a lot of a lot of useful nuggets that people are going to get from this. So we really, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.